you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 15. And stand with me this morning. We'll read. Today's message entitled, Peace Over Justice. Peace Over Justice. It is Jesus before Pilate, or as John MacArthur had titled his message on this passage, Pilate before Jesus, because we know that Jesus is the judge. He was being judged in this moment, but he is the final judge. Amen. Chapter 15 of the book of Mark, starting in verse 1, reads like this, Early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate answered, or questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Lord, as we gather today on this, the Lord's day, Lord, we thank you. We honor you and we praise you, O God. We glorify your name. We ask that you move upon us in the remainder of this service, just as you have in the first part of this service, Lord. Open our eyes to see. Give us ears to hear your word. Lord, I ask, as I have done in the past, that what comes out of my mouth today is a better message than I have prepared. Lord, that you speak to us today, for that is what we long for, is to hear from you and you alone. Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing. We are in chapter 15. This starts the crucifixion of our Lord. We've been through the, the passion of our Christ, the, the last week of His life here on earth. We've been walking through chapters 14, now in 15. We are one chapter away from finishing the book of Mark. Who would have thought 16 chapters would have taken this long to get to? But here we are. It's been good. It's been good for me and my soul. I've learned uh, the depths of Christ going verse by verse through this book. Just one of the Gospels. And we've said over and over again, and I know that y'all know 
that to read the four the four full gospels is to get the full picture. We're only getting a a glimpse into into what actually happened, and and we could spend week upon week going from gospel to gospel. But I promise, if we're here long enough, we'll go through the other gospels too. But here's some context just to catch us up. We're starting a new chapter, and it's a continuation. Uh, this has really been going on since uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus, He's arrested, and He's brought before the council during the night. This is in chapters, uh, chapter 14, verses 43 through 65. The chief priests ask, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? See, they wouldn't even say the name of God. They honored God with their mouth, as Christ said, but with their heart they were far from Him. They wouldn't even utter the name of God because it was such a sacred thing to say Yahweh. They, they wouldn't do that. They put in its place, or in His place, the Blessed One. But yet they're blaspheming Christ to His face. Jesus answers this question. He doesn't answer every question and, and, and rebuts every accusation that's brought against Him. He is like what the Old Testament said. He is silent before His accusers. But when it is a legitimate question, when it is a question of who He is, He answers that question because God does not deny Himself. When they ask the question, are you the Christ? Yes, I am. I am the Messiah. Are you the Son of the Blessed One? Yes, I am. I am He. And we know from two weeks ago, He doesn't just say that He is. He says, I am. He says the name that they would not say. And then He backs that up with Daniel. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. It's verse 62. This infuriates Caiaphas. This infuriates the Sanhedrin. They rent their clothes and ask the council for a conviction, a death sentence. What need do we have for witnesses? Because you remember they were bringing false witnesses and, and they were coming and they, they couldn't even get two people to agree with each other. The closest they could get was they said, well, we heard him say one time that the temple was going to be destroyed and in three days he would build it. Uh, build it without hands. But even in that, they couldn't be consistent. But there was no need for any more trial. There was no need for any more witnesses when they asked Him, are you God? And He said, yes. They said, what need do we have for witnesses? He's blasphemed. Now we pick up. This is the mockery of this trial. It's, it's now escalating to Roman authority. We're at the end of the Jewish trial. We've went as far as the Jewish leaders were allowed to go. They now had to seek Roman authority because they could not put anyone to death. The power of the sword, it is said in history, the power of the sword was taken from Israel when they were conquered. The last king that they had was Herod the Great. When Herod died, he had four sons and he split the kingdom up between those four sons. And we have the four Herods, but they're not Herod the Great. But Rome did something that they didn't do with Herod the Great. Herod the Great was allowed to have the title of king. His sons were not. They were not kings. 
They were tetriarchs. They were governors over their own region, but they were not king. They had no authority. They had no title. This was a huge contention for them. That's why they were always pitting each other against one another because they wanted to be king. You see that when Christ goes to Herod Antipas, the Herod over Galilee, where he thinks that he can judge, but but Pilate is really just trying to pawn off Jesus at this point. Herod has no authority. Pilate has the authority. Herod can't condemn anybody to death. Pilate has that ability. They couldn't put anybody to death. You say, well, they did. I mean, in Acts, they killed Stephen. Yes, mob mentality. Well, they tried to kill Christ. They wanted to push him off a cliff. Yes, mob mentality. They would have been going against Roman authority in doing so. They went against Roman authority in the stoning of Stephen. But even in that, they could not crucify somebody. They could only stone. That was the Mosaic law gave them ability for a blasphemer to be stoned. They couldn't crucify, but so that Scripture could be fulfilled. He said, unless... Christ said, unless I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. There was but one death for our Lord, and it was the death upon a cross. Nothing man could do or would do would stop what God is doing. We need to understand that. Everything. He went through six different trials. We're to the third one. We're now entering the the three Gentile trials. Three different times he's placed before a judge, someone who rules over him, supposedly. But all the while, it's God and Jesus who is ruling. He tells Pilate in in John chapter 19, Pilate says, don't you know I have the ability to crucify you? Don't you know that I hold your life in my hands? And Christ says, no, you don't. You do nothing unless it comes from above. Ladies and gentlemen, beloved, we do nothing in our life unless God allows that to happen. Whatever has come to pass in your life, God has allowed that. And even if this world or you or someone that you know has meant evil against you, you have this assurity that God has meant good towards you. You say, well, that's that's a hard pill to swallow. I, I've dealt with a lot of things. I'm dealing with a lot of things. We have sickness. We have trials. We have tribulations in this life. God has meant those things for good for those who believe. This is one of the most horrible. This is the most horrible, unjust death in all of human history. And God meant it for good for you. He meant it good for me. Christ had to die. The Bible says it goes as far as to say God saw fit to murder His Son. To allow Him to die for you and me. Remember that as we go into these next couple weeks. Here we are, we're at the first audience of Pilate, the verses one through five. They they they've done all of this in the secret, the, the secretness of night. You remember they've they've convened at night, they've accused him at night, they've tried him at night, they've convicted him at night. Now it's daylight. 
It's the first break of day and they, they convene, it says. Council immediately held a consultation. They have a mock trial because they're not supposed to do this at night. They pretend to go through the motions when people arrive into the city and they quickly bind him up and they take him to Pilate. Verse 1 tells us that the official daylight trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, this is the same thing that's described in Luke 22, verses 66 through 71. This trial had, was held immediately in the morning for good reason. Well, one, because what they've done has been illegal, right? But also, it is, it is a custom. The detail that Jesus was delivered to Pilate uh, early in the morning, it's significant and it's historically accurate to the tradition. It was necessary for the Sanhedrin to bring its business to Pilate as soon uh, after dawn as possible because the working day for a Roman official began at the earliest hour of daylight. So they were up and they were going to the point to where legal trials in the Roman forum were customarily held shortly after sunrise. So they get to the trials quick. It's not like us who, you know, you have an 8 o'clock trial date. It's, it's daylight and they're, they're working. The Jewish leaders, they took Jesus to Pilate because they didn't have the legal right to execute their own criminals. Since Herod the Great, that was taken from them. They had no power of the sword, according to Rome. The Jewish rulers knew that if they brought Jesus before Pilate, and charged him with claiming to be God, Pilate wouldn't care. So you see through the Gospels that they changed their accusation. See, he's, he's tried and convicted for blasphemy in the, in the Jewish courts, but now he's a, he's a traitor. He's an insurrector. He is someone who is standing up against the authority of Rome. They can't have that. That's what they bring to him. They change it and they say, they give him several accusations. We read that here. He said, don't you have anything to say for yourself? Pilate asked, Jesus, don't you, don't you want to say anything? Listen to what they're saying about you. They're literally just hurling accusations, hoping one sticks. Let it get, let it get. Jesus remains silent. Pilate goes out to the Sanhedrin and they say, I I, he says, I find no guilt in this man. I don't understand what y'all want me to do here. And the Jewish Sanhedrin says, don't you think that he's a, he would, he's a bad man? We wouldn't have brought him to you for execution if it wasn't warranted. They don't even give a reason. They just say, do it. Kill him. Believe us. Believe us. He needs to die. Pilate acting as judge under Roman authority, he's not going to just crucify a man for no reason. So the reason they give is he's inciting riots, he's telling people not to pay taxes, and he's claiming to be king. Only one of those is true. He claims to be king, but even Jesus stands up for himself when the right question comes and he says, are you the king of the Jews? He says it is as you say, John gives us more detail where he says, I am a king, but my kingdom isn't of this world. In other words, Pilate, you, Rome has nothing to worry about. They do. 
See, the, the, the Roman seat is in Rome, right? The Roman authority, their headquarters is Rome. Look into Acts. One of the biggest churches turns out to be the church of Rome. They have no authority. God has all authority. He would merely yawn at the fact that he's God, so they change it. He would say something along the effects of, we're Romans, we have hundreds of gods. What's one more? He's claiming to be God, that's fine, whatever. But claiming to be uh, insurrectionists, claiming to incite riots, claiming to not pay tribute to Caesar, well, those are, those are egregious accusations. Those warrant a trial, so the trial continues. They brought Jesus before Pilate as the king of the Jews. He's saying he's king. There's only one king. That is Caesar. We can't have two. Pilate marvels at this. He, he, he comes back in and he asks Jesus, don't you have anything to say for yourself? Right? Don't you hear what they're doing? Remember in verse uh, 10, uh, or verse 9, Pilate answered him saying, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. He knew this was, this was a sham. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to do here. He marveled at the fact that Jesus didn't stand up for himself. The only thing he said when he was asked is, are you king? And he said, it is as you say. No doubt Pilate had, had seen many men grovel. For their lives. I mean, he's the one who puts people to death. When faced with death, men do whatever they can to not face the tree. That's a horrible way to die. We We will see. He also stood in judgment of many men as the governor of the Roman providence. Yet, there was something different about Jesus. And Pilate marveled at that. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He said, I find no guilt in him. Jesus knew that Jesus was innocent. The Sanhedrin knew that Jesus was innocent. Everyone there knew that Jesus was innocent. But yet he was silent before his accusers. That piqued my curiosity, and you know that I like like, um, history. So such silence was, was unusual in the form. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't commonplace, much like today. You can plead the fifth, that's fine, but it doesn't get you very far, right? You can still be found guilty for pleading the fifth. You, you really need to go into court with a good, solid defense, right? We, we see that play out in every TV show that's on TV now where where the, the, the defendant gets up and the judge says, who's, who's going to defend you? Who's your lawyer? And he says, I'm going to defend myself. And they all go, no, nah, man, don't do that. Really don't do that. But this is what Christ is doing. But it goes a little further than that. Without a defense from the, from the accused, this is Roman law, the law was on the side of the accusers. If the accusers bought, brought lawyers, if the accusers without evidence or with evidence, if they had someone to stand up and 
articulate their side and the other side didn't. Roman magistrates, they didn't like this. They didn't like finding an undefended man guilty, but they were often felt like they had to because there was no defense made. If there's no defense made, maybe they have warrant, right? If nobody wants to stand up in defense of this man, maybe he really is someone deserving death. Mark doesn't give us going to Herod. He, he only stays with Pilate. So then in verses 6 through 15, we have the second audience with Pilate. So in the totality of the Gospels, we have a first appearance with Pilate. Pilate finds out that he's from Galilee. So he says, that's Herod's, that's Herod's jurisdiction. He sends him to Herod. Herod can't do anything with him. He sends him back to Pilate, and here we are. But by this time, the Jewish multitudes have gathered. They don't like Pilate. They don't trust Pilate. Pilate is a Gentile. Pilate is a pagan. Pilate is a means to an end. The Sanhedrin are using Pilate much like they use the Herodians. It's just a means to an end. When he suggested that we release one of the prisoners, right? This is where we are now in verses 6 through 15. Pilate is, has found Jesus not guilty. He's trying to figure out a way to appease the crowd, keep the peace, but also let justice prevail. He doesn't want to, and we don't have much on Pilate, but what we do know about Pilate is he was a very arrogant, prideful, horrible person. He really didn't care for anybody, especially of the Jewish culture. He could really care less, but he's still a governor, and he's still in the place of a judge, and for no other reason other than to be fair, if you're not guilty, you're not guilty. But he has a riot on his hands. And he has an uproar. And word gets back to Caesar that Pilate can't take care of his providence. Pilate will not be governor for very long. So he wants to keep the peace and he wants justice to prevail. But as our title tells today, he chooses peace over justice. He chooses to appease the crowd over to do the right thing. But he still, nevertheless, he tries. We have to give it to Pilate. He He's very smart. He tries. He says it's a custom to, to release a prisoner. So here we have an actual insurrectionist. We have an actual murder. We have someone who is a horrible person that they've already handed over to Pilate. And you have the Son of God. So in Pilate's mind, he says, surely, surely if I give them the option of the two, they're going to take... They're going to take Jesus, but they don't. Says the Sanhedrin, the leaders stir up the crowd. And the question is asked, I have to, I, I'm going to release one of these prisoners. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they said, no, give us Barabbas. And here's the, the meaning behind it all. God is always at work. He has never done anything in secret. He's always been forefront in what He does in His creation. Even in this, we see an underlining meaning 
in what's going on. It's Jesus or Barabbas. How many remembers what Bar is? Remember when we, we it was several chapters back, Bar Jonah, the son of Jonah. Okay. So the word insurrectionist basically means terrorist. So this is a literal terrorist. Okay. Or the son of God. The son of the father. Or Bar Abbas. Barabbas means son of father. That's the name. That's what his name means. That day, the Jewish crowd chose a false son of the father over the son of the father. I'll say that again. That's pretty good. You have a false son and the son, and they're given the option just as each and every one of us is today. They're given an option. Do you want Jesus or do you want falsity? And they said, give us falsity. Give us Barabbas. Take Jesus. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. And even Pilate, a hard pagan Gentile, says, what? Are you sure? Maybe you didn't hear me right. What do you want me to do with the king of the Jews? And they said again, crucify Him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's that's the meat of everything in existence. What do you do with Jesus? Do you choose the Son when He's presented to you or do you lean to falsity? Do you choose what looks good, what's lesser? Or do you take what many call a hard road and I take nothing away from the straight and narrow? It is not the broad path. But it's the best path. Pilate chooses peace over justice. He, he heeds to the crowd. He, he gives in to the demands of the many. If anyone was able to say Jesus died for me, it's Barabbas. He took His place. That cross that was meant for a terrorist, a murderer, a false son of the Father, is given to the Son. And before we go thinking in our mind how horrible Barabbas is, that is us. You want to put yourself in this story? You're the terrorist. You're the murderer. You're the liar. You're the thief. We're put up against the Son and in eternity, from eternity past, God the Father says, He takes your place. We go free. We're pardoned. We are free. But somebody was condemned for us. And that somebody is Christ. But Pilate chooses peace over justice. We see that in Revelations. In the end days, it's going to be the same way. They're going to cry, peace, peace. From whatever means is possible. They don't care if it comes from the right place. They just want peace. And it's going to be a false Christ that stands up. The Antichrist that gives them that peace for a season. And then when He has them, He turns them. And what they thought was true worship, we're going to be in that tonight, it turns out to be false worship. And where they thought they were worshiping God, it turns out you're worshiping the beast 
And then that's not even enough. Read Revelations. At some point, he stands up and he says, Worship me. I'm your God. Beware of peace over justice. It's easy in peace. It's easy for a season. But if it's built upon falsity, it's false. It's a false peace. Your surety can't lie in falsity. Only in the Son. Peace comes from salvation. True salvation. We gain peace. It's eternal peace. We suffer here for a while. And then peace. So then Jesus is given over to scourging. This is, this is the beginning of the end for Christ. This is, this is a part of it. So Pilate's in a dangerous place as we, as we finish up. The crowd was becoming a riot. They're being stirred up. And there's only one thing that he could do to keep himself out of trouble is to stop the riot, to give them what they want. With both the people and the Jewish rulers demanding the death of Jesus, Pilate, he's unwilling to oppose both of them. So he began the process of execution by having Jesus scourged. And this wasn't a, a passivity. He didn't think, well, if I just beat Christ, maybe they won't want to kill him. This is, this is the crucifixion process. You didn't go to the cross like in good health. Okay. The goal of the scourging was to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. Edwards says this, as the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victims back with a full force, uh, a cat of nine tails as it is, it had many different things in and iron balls, would cause deep contusions. Uh, the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and the tissue. As the flogging continued, lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce ribbons of bleeding flesh. This is, this is the scene that we all know. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, it's, it's at the whipping post. This is all part of the crucifixion. Christ isn't going to get out of the crucifixion at this point. He has been given over. Okay? It can't be undone. He will die. The extent of blood loss would have put the victim into circulatory shock. And the extent of blood loss would well have determined how long the victim actually survived the cross. So the worse the scourging, the worse the torment, the worse the torture, determine the length on, on the cross, which could last days up to a week for some. Edwards continued to say the severe scourging with this intense pain and blood loss most probably left Jesus in a state of perpetual shock. The physical and mental abuse meted out by the Jews and the Romans, because remember, he's done been slapped, spit upon, beat in the face, that was all before he even got to Pilate. The lack of food, the lack of water, the lack of sleep, all contributed to a great weakness, a great state of weakness in this physical body. 
Therefore, even before the actual crucifixion, Jesus' physical condition was at least serious, possibly critical. He, he should have never made it to the cross. The amount of beating that our Lord took even before being nailed to the cross would have killed a normal man. It is only because of the love He had that He said, I lay my life down. No man takes it. It's only the divine that kept Him alive till 3 o'clock p.m. on the cross where He cried with a loud voice. We'll see the significance in that. And He gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. In pronouncing the sentence, the mode of death had to be specific under Roman law. Remember, we're, we're in Roman court. Everything It's not like what the Jews did. This is legit. Other than the fact of knowing that he's innocent and appeasing the crowd, he carries out the sentence. And it may be presumed that Jesus used the conventional form. They had one of two ways that they would pronounced sentence of death, and one of that was, you shall mount the cross, or I have consigned you to the cross. Either way, that's what it means to be given over. And that term given over is all throughout what we've been reading as we stand and they come to the music. It's all throughout the Gospel of Mark, all throughout the Gospels, period. That term giving over is it's the same Greek phrase that is used for Judas and his betrayal. It's the same Greek phrase that's used when Jesus is arrested. It's the same Greek phrase of when he's given up to Pilate. And it's the same phrase used when he's delivered up given over to the cross. Every one of those points, man thought they were in control. And that's what we're going to see going through this crucifixion. Even on the cross, man is not in control. Christ is preaching from the cross. Salvation is happening from the cross. God's will is being done even in the midst of the cross. And Every time that He's given up, He's given over, He's delivered up.